Hi, I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, here to let you know about a new and innovative theater major, the BA in Theater and Business Arts at the University of Providence. Get the education and experience you need as a theater artist and the business acumen to succeed in your career. Visit broadwaybullet.com and stay tuned to the end of the program for more info. Now, enjoy the show. Ooh, is that pod on? Welcome to Next Big Hit, Broadway Bullet, Volume 13. I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, here with you every week to bring you to destinations on and off Broadway. We got a lot of great stuff for you this week. Composer David Kirschenbaum and actress Letzlie Kritzer are interviewed, and they talk about a lot of things. They've both got Joe's Pubs gigs, and they talk about the new musical and development, Vanities, and also a little bit of dirt on the upcoming production of Legally Blonde, which Leslie is cast in. We're also talking with the director and playwright of the new comedy, The Internationalist. We've got a rare track from Stephen Sondheim off of the Simply Sondheim 75th Anniversary Celebration live recording, Hades, from the 2004 production of The Frogs. We'll also be talking with two of the creators from the off-Broadway musical, Bush Wars. And we've got the experimental play at La Mama, Whore from Ohio. So there's a lot of great stuff this episode. And we're going to announce later on the winner of our final installment of the Stump the Staff contest. Got two questions here, trivia questions, and later on we'll give the answer and see which one of these stumped the staff, because the staff was stumped. D.A.A. Bosch asked, What popular TV show uses a musical theater composer's songs for episode titles and which composer... And Superhero Chuck asks, how did Gwen Verdon net her starring role as Roxy in the original production of Chicago? Are you stumped? One of these stumped the drama bookshop. We'll tell you later who stumped the staff and won a $20 gift certificate to the drama bookshop. Well, we got a lot of fun interviews, so let's get it rolling. We're welcoming back a friend here. David Kirschenbaum was on Volume 6 during the New York Musical Theater Festival talking about his show Party Come Here. He's back with a friend of his, Leslie Kritzer, and both of them have got tons of stuff going on. So we're going <laughs> to kind of just sit and chat about all the various projects. How are you guys doing? Good. Good. How are you doing? It's good to be back. I suppose first thing is both of you got stuff going on at Joe's Pub. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what's going on in that? Who wants to go David, first? David, you go first. I'll go first? Plug All right. show, David. Plug my show. I've never been good at like selling myself or marketing my songs or putting myself out there. But this is something that I'm really looking forward to. We've talked about – the idea has been suggested over the last couple of years to do an evening of my songs. And I never really – it never felt like the right time, never felt like the right place. And one of the things that I think I was really waiting for was Joe's Pub, which is just an amazing space that I guess has just been open about almost a decade now. And I remember seeing one of the first shows that they did there and thinking, God, I would give anything to do something, uh, let alone an evening of my songs at Joe's Pub someday. And it really took Jason Raitt, my friend Jason Raitt, who was the producer of the NAMPT Festival of New Musicals, who... Uh, introduced me to the people at Joe's Pub and set the whole thing up. And so now we're doing a concert on uh, two shows on Monday, November 20th at 9.30 p.m. and 11.30 p.m. And it's an amazing, amazing lineup of people, which which I, I couldn't be more thrilled about. 
Yeah, there's actually, uh, you know, besides Leslie, you're appearing on the Bill yeah. and Owen. Kate Rinders was on the show before with Tasty Skank. Oh, cool. <laughs> so she, I know she's in the show. You've also got Hunter Foster who's been on uh-huh. our show. Carrie Butler hasn't been on the show yet, but hopefully we'll get her Eventually soon. we'll get everybody at my Joe's Pub <laughs> concert to come in and do Broadway Bullet. But one of the things that makes it fortunate is we just did Party Come Here in Nymph, and then we did my show Vanities that Leslie was in and Nampt. And we have uh, the entire cast, as of right now, the entire cast of both of those shows coming to Joe's Pub. Does every musical theater organization have to have a four-letter acronym beginning with the the letter N? Yeah. (laughs) I still can barely keep these straight. They're going to do it in Forbidden Broadway soon. I bet. Start making fun of it. Um, but yeah, so from Party Come Here, it's it's Hunter Foster, Carrie Butler, Terrence Mann, Caitlin Hopkins, Karen Olivo, and Fiveish Finkel, and even the four the four person ensemble from Party Come Here: Randy Aaron, Catherine Basile, Justin Keys, and Katie Klaus. Some of whom have gotten Broadway shows just in the last month since Nymph. And then for Nymphed, we've we've got the whole cast of Vanities, which is. Um, the terrific Leslie Kritzer and <laughs> Megan Helty and Sarah Stiles, both of whom are flying back from the road from the, the, the tours that they're doing right now just for the night, plus uh, a bunch of other friends of mine, uh, Barrett Foa, Susan Owen, Ryan Driscoll, Kate Reinders, like you said, and uh, uh, Miriam Shore, my friend Miriam Shore, who's I think also flying back from shooting a sitcom in L.A., just for the night. Leslie just said she's a big Miriam Shore fan. I love Miriam Shore. Miriam, I'm so excited that I'm going to get to meet her. Miriam, if you're listening, Leslie wants to play I your sister. In, in a sitcom. In a sitcom. <laughs> now, <laughs> now Leslie, you've got your own gigs going on at Joe's Pub, too. Is that Yeah, right? I do. And I'm, I'm just, I do. I'm really excited, actually, for David to be doing this because Joe's Pub is such a special venue, and it's just so great. Once you're on the stage there, it feels really good. I don't know, the, the vibe in that room is really good. So I'm really happy you're doing the show there. Um, yeah, I've been doing my own show, um, Leslie Kritzer is Petit Laponet Le Mouche. At Joe's Pub, we just finished our second show. We sold out, and um, our third one is on November 26th at 9.30, which is a Sunday night. Oh, can you do a quick Patty Lapone impression then here? Sure, <laughs> sure. Uh, uh, Acapella. <laughs> sure. Uh, oh, you mean like, like singing? Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, I'll do the first one. I'm, I'm a Latin from Manhattan. You can tell my mama, Yana. I'm a Latin from Manhattan. Manhattan. <laughs> She's amazing. I saw the first show, and it was terrific, and I, I'm, I'm planning on going back in December to see it's it It's great. It's really but, so much fun. But it's not a Forbidden Broadway sketch. No. I mean, she's really, she's really doing... It's a weird cross between reincarnation and I don't know how would you, and a one act play. I don't know. We how call you, we call it like perf, it's like we call it. You can kind of call it performance art because you're like taking something and recreating it, but you're impersonating someone, but you're not. It's it's weird. It's like you have to see to understand. And some people are some people don't even know what to call it. I don't even know what to call it. I'm just you know my friend Ben Rimmelauer, who's directing it, came up with the idea. He asked me to do it. I said no. And then he's like, come on. And then he convinced me. We watched a, a bootleg video that Patti LuPone gave him because they're friends. And I was like, okay, fine. Let's do it. I'm crazy. Why not? You know, <laughs> I'm I, in between gigs. Why not? Let's do it. I you love Patti LuPone. But as much as I love her, I still can't get that forbidden Broadway, anything goes, Patti LuPone. The, I like a lack, you like a lack, you like a lack, you like a lack, I know. And this is, pre, <laughs> this is pre-anything goes. This is 1980 when she just won the Tony for Evita. You know, this is at the height of her, you know, the Evita fame. So, you know, every Saturday night at midnight, she would do this cabaret act in Chelsea for all the A-listers in town. For six months, it sold out. This, this show that we're doing, and we have her original music director and arranger who wrote the show, 
is our MD. And um, so we got all these great people. We have a five-piece rock band. You know, we pull out all the stops, and we called her and asked her permission to do it, and she left a message. I think Ben saved the, the message. She left a message, and she was like, she goes, oh, doll. She goes, have a blast. It sounds like a blast. You know, she, you know. And you're doing all the patter that she having, did. Doing all the patter, all the stuff, and, and more. You know, we ad-lib and you stuff. You should use those messages like title of show did in the middle of their... <laughs> right, right. Where are we, si- where are we saying we're, we're afraid we're going to get a Lapone call? <laughs> which means, you know, it's going to be like some phone call from Connecticut saying, shut it down, you know? But she's going to come in December. I, I hope she comes in December. And we just love her so much. It's, it's really a tribute to her. You know, we just love her. And Ben and I grew up listening to her and idolizing and loving her. And so, you know, it's it's really with done in such with such great respect. Well, we got a lot to talk about. We're going to talk yes. about Vanities, the new musical Yay. that you've been working on. But uh, maybe before we launch into talking about Vanities, do you guys want to just uh, perform live here in the studio one of the songs from it? Sure, yeah, I'd love we'll, to. We'll bring it. Feels so strange. All relations. 
relationships rearrange And the fact is some friends won't fade Some you don't see Guess you just call the spade a spade And make your peace with the choices made Swallow hard at the price you That was fantastic. I always love doing stuff live in the studio. Thank Thanks. You. So, David, what's the story? What's going on with Vanities? I, I hear there's a few things. Well, we did it. Um, we did it about uh, two weeks ago, beginning of October, at the National Alliance for Musical Theater Festival of New Musicals, and we got a terrific response. Not quite, I always feel weird. Amazing response. Amazing response. I feel. He's, I feel. He's being humble. I feel weird, go, especially going on the record talking about this. But supposedly, the reaction we got was right up there with with anything that NAMT has ever developed, including things like Drowsy Chaperone and Thoroughly Modern Millie. And so right now we're sort of figuring out what... Well, the song was amazing. I just heard it. Thank you. Oh, thanks. Yeah. And, and very clear, I know the play, too, and, I, and already I'm, I'm very excited because you definitely captured, I think, the heart of what the play is about as well. Thanks. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just a, it's a great story about, about friendship between women, friendship in general, and, um, and friendship over time. And... Uh, we've been working. Leslie could probably, as an actor who's been involved with it for a while now, speak to. Um, what, what yeah, I mean, well, first of all, David's music's just incredible. I mean, he really is so so talented, and it's just been an honor to work with him. And his work has really taken Jack's writing and taken it to another level because you know, adding music, and it's just it's really amazing. And it's, it's just an honor to be working on a new musical because, especially something this small. And I like I like the fact that it's that's intimate you know those are some of the best stuff that I've ever done has been the small intimate kind of shows and even I mean small in the sense of cast size you know there's only three of us Jack Hefner who wrote the play originally back in the 70s is the book writer, the book on, writer. on this and and has been totally open to reinventing it as a musical and 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 even when we when we did this presentation a few weeks back he wrote a brand new scene that was never part of the play, and and uh, so funny. And he la- every laugh, so great. It. And yeah. we, you know, we winged it. We saw it one time yeah. in rehearsal, like right before we did the festival, and it just, it was great. And the girls that I was that we did the the uh, production with the summer, Megan Hilty and Sarah Styles. Um, Megan Hilty, you probably know from Wicked on Broadway, and then Sarah Styles is on the um, national tour of Spelling Bee, and Megan's also on the tour of Wicked right now, and she'll be doing. Glinda in LA. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we have some really good people in the show, and the three of us, we got very close and really got attached to this piece. And I think it's. You, you all know, moved into the same apartment. We all moved in the same apartment. When we were doing Palo it out at Theater Works in Palo Alto. Yeah. And, and we just thought that was, Jack and I thought that was the worst idea we'd we ever so heard. Scared. Because you never hear of, you know, actor, you, actresses. Actresses, especially. Especially actresses. You know, everybody bonds on a project to one degree or another, but you think. To actually live together, that's a risk because even if you think we're going to be good friends by two or three days in a rehearsal, six weeks later, it could be yeah. a whole different story. But you were amazing. right; it was it was a good. Yeah, we just we just did it. You know, we were just felt it. You know, it's just instinctual. We moved in together. We would run lines till all hours of the night because it's only us, and it's actually 
it was a lot of work trying to, it was the hardest time I ever had memorizing stuff. I don't know why, but it was just really, really hard. And we just, I mean, especially now since NAMPT, all of a sudden, all that work that we did this summer, because it was just starting to see, like, where the piece could go, it really, like, it paid off at NAMPT. I really think it, it was, like, all that work we did. The audience just ate it up, and they, you know, they really relate to this kind of piece, especially the friendship aspect, you know, and and the heart of heart of the show and the music's great. It's just, it's there, just it a was great an, show. I mean, the reaction was in huge part because because of the three of you. I mean, you, you can't... Thanks, David. But, it's, but I mean it. I mean, you can't do a show like this that's about... Uh, I, I that's about three friends without having the real deal going on on stage. Yeah. And I think that's what the audience was feeling. Yeah. That's going to make it hard for the producer to recast the show when it's in its third year of the run, right? We should only be so lucky, Michael, for, I know. for your mouth. To that would be fabulous, right? <laughs> yeah. Now, in addition... The, the, the original show, actually the play, was done with Jack's friends from college, uh, including one of whom happened to be Kathy Bates, Kathy and Bates. it kind of put her on the road to to becoming a star. Who came to see it this summer and loved it? And we saw the opening night in California and, and really loved it. And but then over the rest of the 1970s, the play was performed by everybody from Sandy Duncan to Stockard Channing to Elizabeth Ashley to Sybil Shepherd to all of the Charlie's Angels. Yeah, you know anyone who was sort of anyone at, at that period, um, all over the country, all over the road, and. And if if our musical version is a fraction as successful as, as that was, we'd be very happy. Yeah. Now, we're always looking for a little bit of dirt on future things. And, sure. Uh, and so since I found out that you're, you already are going to be in Legally Blonde yes. coming this spring, uh, what dirt can you spill on that? Um, I'm trying to think what dirt there is to spill. Uh, I think... Uh, let's see, let's see. I'm trying to think, like, what exactly, like, like behind the scenes yeah. kind of thing? Well, behind the scenes on the stage, is the show any good? I think the show's <laughs> great. Um, see, that's not, I wanted you to be blunt. There we go. <laughs> is the show any good? Um, I really, you know what? And I'm I'm a pretty good judge of, of certain things. Like, even and when I was critic. in Vanity. I'm yeah. a tough critic, too. But even when I was in Vanities, like, I, I love well, You know, show. I always wonder, because, you know, Vanities, I know this is like a heart project. This is something you picked, you wanted to develop. And... Well, I, I'd probably be very excited. There's still a good chance it'll be good. Legally Blonde smells to me like a I know. corporately dreamed up thing. Yes. The producers sit and go, wow, this would be great. Let's audition composers. Right. Let's, uh, <laughs> I know. And, and you know, and, and I'm kind of, it was just until this year that I realized that whole process and what happens with these big shows and you have to audition to be the composer, you know, and like all that stuff. And, you know, there's all these movie musicals being made and, and I will save my comments about them for <laughs> another time. But, um... I really do think I really respect Larry O'Keefe and Nell Benjamin. I worked with them on Bat Boy, and I think they're fabulous. And I really think the show um, does something that the movie doesn't, and I think that's rare, um, especially with the characters they've, what they've done with the Elle Woods character, what they've done with the um, boyfriend character that uh, Christian Borle's going to be playing, the nerdy guy. They they made the in the movie that character was like the hot guy that's supposed to be the nerdy guy, and he was Hollywoodized. But Christian, even though he's very attractive, whatever, they made him like his character is more dorky the way they wrote it, so that you know what happens at the end, which everyone's seen the movie anyway, it doesn't matter. You know, when she falls in love with him at the end, it I, that you I just like fall movie. in Well, whatever. You just ruined it for me. It doesn't matter. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, I think Larry and Nell did a great job and they're so smart and they're very picky and I really think that you know, there's there. I think it's gonna be a great time, and I think it's really fun and witty. And there's some of these great songs like "Gay or European." I mean, there's like such great witty numbers, and it really smart. I play um, 
a character, Serena, that was in the movie. She's like the crazy, cracked out best friend cheerleader. You know, just like get, walk on the stage, be funny, walk off, go to my dressing room kind of thing. It's <laughs> like, you know, I don't have to carry a show. I just have to kind of like walk on, be crazy, and then walk off. So I just think there's a lot of characters in the show, which is great. Even though it's a huge show, there's a lot of little character bits and. It's a lot of fun, and Jerry Mitchell is going to, you know, I mean, you're not even ready for what he's about to do with us. I mean, I'm not even ready. I'm like, oh, God. He's going to do things on the stage that I don't think people have ever done before in a musical, which I'm thrilled and excited. But, you know, I think it's going to be a blast. I really do. And I'm as weary as you are, but... (laughs) I think that's about all the dirt I have. Oh, too. there's going to be puppies in it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not that worried. I mean, I, I'd like it to be good. You know, I do think it's a good concept, but at the right. same time, I do know that this was definitely cooked up in a corporate lab, sure. and that always But it can, it can have a happy end. I mean, I, I love Dirty Rotten Scandals. Yeah, that was another I, one cooked up, but it was great. It I loved wor- it. It worked. I thought it was of hilarious. Uh, we should remind everybody, uh, your Joe's Pub gig, David, is on November 20th. Yeah, and I just realized I forgot to mention Celia Cannon Bolger, another one of my... Oh yeah, great friends. Who's That's in what the, who's in Les Mis now, and I and and she just sort of officially came on board this past week because she wasn't sure if she'd be able to do it because you know the, the Les Mis opening and stuff. But she's doing it now too, which I'm thrilled about. I one of the, the fun things about doing something like this is that it's it's you know with a bunch of friends for the most part. You know, everybody on this list is a really good friend of mine, and um, or they or they've just become a, a friend by virtue of doing one of these shows, and. For me, I won't be playing like I did here in the studio today. I've also been, I'm lucky to have a really great music team mm-hmm. with Dean Feichner and Carmel Dean and Len Shackle. So for the most part, I may get up and play something at some point. But for the most part, I'll just be able to sit back and watch all these. Is Terrence Mann going to play? It's, <laughs> that's right. T- Terry played in, uh, in Party Come Here. That was my idea because I knew that he, uh, I knew from, from Williamstown that he played piano really well, which is probably one of the best kept secrets in New York because he hasn't done it too much here. I didn't well, know that. We'll have to see if he, if we can get him over to kick Vadim off the piano bench like like we did in Party Come Here, but I just can't wait to see all these people in. Well, I would go see this concert, you know, no matter whose songs they were singing. So the fact that they're doing stuff I've written is really humbling, and I I, I can't wait for it. He's a future musical theater sitting right next to me. I really do. And, I think uh, David like Kirshner is like one of the stuff. futures in musical theater. Okay. Well, uh, but and Leslie Kritzer is going <laughs> to be a household name. Yes, and we no. got to get another plug. And what the dates are your of oh, your show? Oh, my my dates. Are November 26th, 9.30, December 8th, which is a Friday, December 9th, which is a Saturday, both at 11.30 p.m., and David's concert Monday, November 20th, um, two shows, 9.30 and 11.30, and for both shows, you can call 212-539-8778 or go to joespub.com for tickets. And we have that all on the website, too, at bobbybullet.com. Thank you. Cool. And we're going to close this off with one more song of yours, David, so which one are we going to be playing here? This isn't live. This is one of your... Recorded ones. Yeah, well, I, I, well, I think we're going to do uh, "Fly Into the Future," which um, which is a number that Megan Helty did in uh, in Vanities, and we'll be doing at the Joe's Pub Yay. concert as well. All right, thanks for joining us. Thank today. you so much. What about a green and white shower? <gasps> Lime green. Oh, everybody has to bring something that's green or white. Like my chosen colors. That's just dumb enough to work. <laughs> and we can have it in the garden. That's green already. And, and I'll do big wedding bells at a chicken wire. And stuff them with white Kleenex. <laughs> well, next. <laughs> that's neat. <laughs> then it's settled. That's one more thing to do this semester. There she goes again, look at chatty Kathy, keeping track of life with her paper and pen. You better go down and get those bridesmaid dresses. No, put that at the top of your list. If they sell them to somebody else, I will have a heart attack. 
Then there's poor Joanne, desperate to marry, bringing up her wedding again and again. Okay, then we'll go down right after classes tomorrow. Promise? <laughs> this would be my world, this is what I'm in for. Years of planning parties and being a wife. Sing a song, lime green. <laughs> I don't want to be mean, but this isn't my scene. And I feel like I need something different from life. <laughs> I have to go downtown anyway and get a passport application. Get a what? I'm going to Europe this summer. And when did you decide this? It's my graduation gift from my generous parents. Except I haven't told them yet. Well, why Europe? There's nothing they got in Europe that we don't have right here in Dallas. Growing up was stifling because I was never free. School is getting stale and I'm sick of this sorority. Think I need some distance, a place to disappear. So it's adios and away I go and I'm kind of scared but the moment's here to fly into the future. Gonna roll, gonna ride so that no one can find me. I'm flying into the future. Moving on with my life and leaving all this behind me. Free from textbooks, free from Texas, free from folks who give me flack. I'm gonna fly into the future. Time to fly and I'll never look back. Girls, I'm gonna miss you both, but I need a little adventure. How are you gonna live? I'll make it up as I go along. Where are you gonna go? I think I'll head to Rome first. That's where all the sexy boys are, right? I could grab my pencil and make some little plan. I could be a housewife and settle down to serve a man. I could take a job with my bachelor's degree. But I think I'll go to the Coliseum and take some bachelors home with me and fly into the future where there's no one to boss me or judge how I'm living. There's only me and my future, plus a couple Italian boys who like what I'm giving. No commitments, no conditions, no connections that can last. Not when I fly into the future. Once I fly, I'll be through with my past. Mama is a coward. Mama is a drunk. Mama sleeps with Howard when she gets in a funk. Howard's kinda creepy. Howard's kinda crude. Howard's really fat and walks around in the nude. Dad ran off with Julie. Mama hates his guts. Dad's okay, but truly my whole family is nuts. Mama doesn't like me. I don't even try, which is why I just gotta say goodbye and fly into the future. I'll be up in the sky soon as Granite can take me. It's fly me into the future. Where the freedom I find is gonna make me or break me. No restrictions, no relations, no ridiculous demands. Watch me.
With terrorism and international relations in the news so much today, I don't think there's been a time in history where foreign relations and international travel and other cultures have been as much on the American public's mind. And we have a great new comedy called The Internationalist that deals with some of these issues and some different ones in a very different way. We have the writer and director here with us today. How are you guys doing? Good. Lovely. Would you like to introduce yourselves quick? I'm Ann Washburn. I'm the playwright. I'm Ken Rushmall, the director. What is The Internationalist about? What is it dealing with? All that kind of fun stuff. It's a play about an American who goes on a business trip to an unidentified foreign country and meets a beautiful colleague at the airport, basically thinks he's entering a wonderful sort of adventure. It steadily becomes a more difficult kind of adventure. I understand even some of the show is done in a made-up foreign language. There is um, maybe a fourth of the show? Yeah, probably. Is in a, a made-up foreign language. It sort of increases as you as you watch. Yes, it's a language that Anne has written out. It's it's uh, She's written every single word of it, and it's something that the actors have had to sort of painstakingly memorize, which has been one of the more fun, at least from our side, challenges of, of rehearsing this play. And one of the most terrible agonies on their side. <laughs> right. So, Anne, what inspired you to write this play? I was in the fall of 2001. I started work for a Swiss reinsurance company and had a number of colleagues come over to train me, which I thought was exotic. I've mostly just worked as a temp. This was my first time having sort of a, a situated position. And I thought they were, you know, very interesting and very glamorous and foreign, and that was great. And after a few months working at the company, I went over to Switzerland to meet my department and meet the people in my department and had kind of a different understanding of them when I saw them there because they were no longer glamorous, and I had a much clearer understanding of them as people. And I ended up feeling as though when they were very glamorous to me and I was you know, get, willing to give them all credit for being infinitely interesting human beings that in some ways I had a better understanding of them as people than I did when I came them and saw them sort of pegged down into their contexts. At the same time, because I didn't understand their context, there were all these important ways in which I hadn't understood them at all. And that push and pull was interesting to me. And when I was there, we had a, the business language of the company is English. We had a team meeting that was entirely in English. And we had a, a lunch afterward with a lot of wine that was meant to be entirely in English, all of this for my benefit, although a number of my colleagues had very poor English. And once people had drunk a lot, uh, they started, you know, telling stories, and somebody told a fabulous story about their fox getting into a fight with their cat that was in English and very odd and very funny. And then someone went on to tell a story that was entirely in Swiss German and also was apparently hilarious. And I went down to the hotel room afterward, and I wrote down this story that had been told that I, you know, had been able to understand, and I wrote down the story that I hadn't been able to understand. And I wanted to make a play from that. So, Ken, what do you feel have been some of the more interesting directorial challenges putting this up on stage? I think that, as Anne just described, that this this play um, does address questions of how do we behave and how do we act in the face of the unknown when we're confronted with things that are, are both sometimes very familiar but also very foreign. Uh, and the whole play, in a way, is constructed on that level. The, the play... It's written in a very sort of mysterious and enigmatic way and that the information revealed over the course of the time of the play, it's, it's, it's metered out in a very intentional, specific way to craft a real sort of sense of mystery about this place and about these people and these experiences. And so I think sometimes the, the impulse is to sort of try to make it as as explicit as possible. But in fact, the, the power of the play comes from the fact that it's actually, that it is itself a mysterious event and that the, the sort of disorientation that the main character feels when he goes to this foreign country is in fact in part the experience that the audience 
has as well. And so the challenge has been to not actually push the play further than it actually goes or not to push the the sort of very taut parameters of the play. Yeah, that the, and, the, and that the play is actually, it's very, she, Anne has written a situational, com- I mean, not, a, not a sitcom, <laughs> she's written a comedy that, but the comedy comes from the situation. It's actually an exploration of the situation of disorientation and of, of the unknown. I mean, when you, when you mentioned terrorism in the international scene today, it's actually very apt. The play is in some way a metaphor for for how we, our responsibility in terms of how we as a nation interact with other nations and how in the face of if other cultures and other ideas and other peoples, what is, our, what is our not only practical response to that, but what is our ethical response to handling those, uh, those differences or those others that we can never know. Now, Anne Paris of Law & Order is a starring in the show, she correct? She is, yes. How she's a comedian. She's great. She's very funny. <laughs> yes. Yes, she has the comic chops as well as the dramatic ones. Uh, she's been totally delightful. She's one of the smartest, most interesting actors that I've, that I've worked with, actually. What is the development history of the show? Uh, it was uh, written in 2000, 2002, 2003 with a Soho Rep Writer Director Lab. We did a, a production of it, a showcase production with 13P in 2004. It was workshopped in Hungary in Hungarian in the fall of 2004 <laughs> with a really great group there called Kredeker. Were you able to see that production? I was. I, I was shipped out for it. I assume you don't speak Hungarian, or do you? I do not. So uh, what kind of faith and trust do you have to have for you know to know that the translation actually came across correctly? It's a complete act of faith. It was funny how often it was that I knew that the translation was correct. It was funny the degree to which it felt the same. Every now and then we would have, I would discover that something actually had been very mistranslated, but it was totally a fluke. I think at one point, one of the, in the, in the, one of the characters tells a story in the made-up foreign language, and the only English that comes out of it, and he emerges, he's telling this with great enthusiasm, and then he turns to the American, he decides he needs to convey a point, and he says, oh, and this man was wearing suganil, and one of the characters who speaks English says, oh, flippers. And he says, flippers. And then he dives back into the foreign language. And it's very funny because out of nowhere, flippers is such a detail. And somehow, over the course of rehearsing this scene, in a rare moment when... And the director didn't speak English at all throughout this process. The translator was sitting with me. It it was discovered that that had been translated as flip-flops, which is a totally different word, but utterly makes sense. There was another point when one character talks about the building he's in. And he says, uh, the thing about this structure is that there are ways out of it. And again, we sort of discovered by chance that the word structure in Hungarian has the same set of meanings it has here. It can mean building, but it can also mean system. But whereas for us, the meaning building is foregrounded and the meaning system is a secondary meaning, it had been translated. So he was saying, basically, the way, thing about this political system is there are ways out of it. So the thing about this building is there are ways out of it. Hmm. It's a huge, long digression. But <laughs> I'm sure there were all kinds of strange mistranslations that I'll never know about it. But the overall effect, the overall feel seemed to be really right. The connection seemed to be surprisingly, surprisingly similar. I wouldn't have thought it would have translated. It's such a language-dependent play. So, Ken, how did you come to be involved with this show? Had you uh, done a lot of work with her before? Uh, no, actually. I only knew of Anne and knew her work um, and respected her, uh, and she emailed me out of the blue. Uh, she had seen a production that I had directed at the Ohio Theater and thought that I would be a good match for the play, and so she emailed me, and we met, and after spending 
many minutes trying to sell myself with no shame. <laughs> she agreed. <laughs> an hour and a half. Yes, an hour and a half. Uh, she has, she said yes that she had wanted me to direct it in any event. So, uh, so you should have asked for a trailer or something. I should have. I should have asked for a lot more. No, no, I wanted him to want it. <laughs> right, she knew. That's where we first met, and then we've been working on it. We did the production in 2004. I directed that production as well, and which Doug Abel from the Vineyard saw and uh, and liked. So. Here we are. Well, really quickly, what are some of the other shows that you've both worked on? I had a show go up last fall called Apparition, which was uh, went off off-Broadway at the Connolly Theatre, directed by Les Waters, which is sort of a terrifying language play. Yes, uh, I have directed a couple other plays for 13P, which is a, a collective of playwrights, a young company. Uh, it's made a little bit of a name for itself. I directed a play called Mark Smith by Kate Ryan and one called Aphrodisiac by Rob Handel, and Aphrodisiac also was... Moved on to the Long Wharf in New Haven, which was nice. So they're, so the 13P plays are, are definitely making a name for themselves. Well, if people are looking to come see The Internationalist, uh, where do they go? When is it playing? Vineyard Theatre, 108 East 15th, one block east of Union Square. Playing through November 26th, Tuesdays through Sundays, Sundays 8 o'clock, <laughs> with 3 p.m. matinees on Saturdays and Sundays? Yes, that's right. Yes, great. <laughs> They should come at those times to that place. Yes. We wish you the best of luck with the run, and thanks for coming in and speaking with our listeners in Broadway Bullet. Thank, Thank you, you so very much. I want to remind everybody that if you're looking for more information on all the shows and people that we're talking with, you can go to broadwaybullet.com and check out our forums. In the Volume 13 post, we have links to all the different shows' websites and in the artist pages if they have them. So make sure you check in there and feel free to discuss the show and give comments on interviews and such that you like. I'm sure everybody who's being interviewed would appreciate it, and I certainly would love the feedback as well. I want to announce an event that's taking place at Ars Nova in New York called Life in a Martial Institution. First comes love, then comes marriage counseling. Two-time winner of the Moth's Grand Slam, James Braley returns to Ars Nova with his hilarious dissection of what 13 couples counselors have called a passionate, bipolar relationship. With one of New York City's sharpest wits, Braley dives headfirst into a tale of attraction, repulsion, reproduction, death, and the afterlife. 20 years of monogamy in one terrifying evening. It's directed by Hal Brooks, acclaimed director of Tom Paine, based on nothing, and the show takes place at Ars Nova, November 21st and November 28th at 8 p.m. AJ Productions just released a concert recording of Simply Sondheim, a 75th birthday salute, which was recorded live in San Francisco on December 5th, 2005. There's a lot of great tasty cuts on here and a lot of rare tracks, and they've let us play one of those, Hades, from Sondheim's 2004 the frogs. Everybody dumps on Hades. People yelling, go to hell. Let me tell you, life in Hades is just swell. It's got flash, it's got flair, it's got spectacle to spare. People come from everywhere, like it or not. Mostly not. Then they see what we've got. What we've got. And they like it a lot. Such a lot. Hell is hot. It's hot. So hot. I mean, you never gain weight, you never out of date, you never get bald or older, you never have to fret about fate. It's all too late. I mean, you're dead. Yes, you're dead. You're not afraid of time rushing by, not afraid of oceans running dry, all because you're not afraid to die once you're dead. dead, 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 dead. 
get to live in Hades, where it's always 2 a.m. Where it's party till you drop and never stop, because there's nothing we can get. Where whenever you regret, you just forget, oh, better yet, forgive. Where you're not afraid to die, when you're not afraid to die, then you're not afraid to live. And you're living here in Hades, and I mean you're living well. Everybody comes to Hades, everybody goes to hell. Down here, ba-ba-boom Up there, gotta get a grip Down here, one long acid trip R.I.P. down here means let her rip Hell is hot, hell is happening Hell is cool Just life down here. This is living an endless party that no one's giving, but everybody's invited. Once you settle down in Hades, you can leave the world behind. Here, where everyone is gay. No, not that way. No, I mean gay. Oh, never mind. Everyone's afraid of Hades, so they never misbehave. A glimpse of Hades, they'd be racing to the grave. The minute we get back, I want to be put to death. You know, in the grand scheme of things, life is a test, really. A little pop quiz, nothing more. Some pass, some fail, but it's ultimately meaningless. Just something to amuse the gods. This is where reality begins. Here, no one has a need anymore. To commit a murder, wage a war. Who you gonna murder and what for? They're all like dead. Deceased, caught, defunct, released. And we're flying high in a Hades. Where it's always 2 a.m. Where it's funny to you drop and never stop because there's nothing we can damn. not afraid of death, and when you're not afraid of death, then you're ready for love. Everything is hiding That's the thing that gives it sing. How about a head for Hades? How about a head for Hades? That's the thing that gives it sing. If you're looking to pick up the fantastic recording of Simply Sondheim, a 75th birthday salute, you can pick it up at a-jproductions.com. Other rare songs include the never-before-recorded Farewell, written for the 1971 revival of A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum, and the recently rediscovered I'm in Love with a Boy, written when Sondheim was only 16 years old. We're also currently working on getting a couple performers from that tribute into the studio for an interview. We're going to check in now with Marty Cooper. On his 25 years of working at the Colony in the heart of Broadway, he's met and seen just about everything, and he has a weekly segment we call On the Positive Side. Hey, this is Marty Cooper once again on the, on the Positive Side. I'm going to uh, kind of do a switch this week. I'm usually positive about just about everything. This week I'm going to be somewhat negative about something, and it's probably the reason I'm here, one of the reasons I'm here. 
about three months ago when, when Michael asked me to do the spot, he said, what would you like to call it? And I said, well, I hate the fact that critics are just taking glee in writing the downside of a Broadway show or a Broadway actor or what the problem is or this one has problems or this one will never make it. And I, I am a person that just about likes everything. People find problems with that, including my wife, actually. She says, you like everything. You, uh, you can't decide what you like and what you don't. Well, it's true. I'm kind of a happy jack. Well, about six months ago, uh, I picked up the post, and uh, my friend Mr. Riedel, right before the Tonys, wrote about the show Wedding Singer, whose composer I know since he was a kid, and I was very much rooting for this show. He wrote about The Wedding Singer, and he said, at the end of June, The Wedding Singer will have closed, and all will be right with the world. Well, Mr. Riedel, it didn't quite last a year, but it took six months after your little notice to shut down. It's closing on New Year's Eve. It got a little bit of a fan base, and I'm happy for it because it was a first time out for Matthew Sklar, and I'm happy for him and the creators of the show. Once again, I picked up the post a few days ago, and uh, two composers who, as you know, I'm a big fan of, Bubliel and Schoenberg, have written a show called The Pirate Queen, and it just started tryouts in Chicago. Mr. Reader reported, there are problems with this show, and he didn't only say that, he was kind of gleeful. Well, unless these people fix up and I'm not sure how easy the road to Broadway is going to be. Well, that's what tryouts are all about, in case you don't know. My question to you, have you seen it? Have you seen it before you take Lee in the fact that it's in trouble? And to me, $900,000 in the box office for last week doesn't amount to trouble. They're crying all the way to the bank. So my message to you, sir, is you don't like something, take it that you've seen it, you don't like something, say, gee, I don't like it, and this is what I don't like about it, and then let it go. Let the people involved in the show, the singers, the dancers, the musicians, the carpenters, the stagehands, the makeup people, the hair people, let them keep their jobs. You keep your job, let them keep theirs. Comes to mind that other shows have been in trouble in tryouts. Moving Out, which ran two and a half years on Broadway, they thought would never make it to Broadway. A show of a number of years back, Grand Hotel, had a lot of trouble out of town. They thought it wouldn't make it to Broadway. They fixed it up. In fact, just as it opened, I was speaking to Karen Akers, and she was telling us, every few minutes, they have changes. We go backstage, and they tell us, change this and change that. And somehow when the show opened, it worked. The revival of How to Succeed in Business years ago with Matthew Broderick was in terrible trouble out of town. They hated it out of town, and it came to Broadway big success. Actually, a show after it opened in London, which is my favorite, of course, someone called Victor Hugo on a Garbage Heap. Well, 21 years later, people still love it. So do a little research before you try to run something out of town. Once again, this is Marty Cooper on The Positive Side. On The Positive Side is brought to you by The Colony, located at 49th and Broadway or online at colonymusic.com. You can always say, I found it at The Colony. Let's get back into our next segment. 
At first I was confused. I thought from the title that perhaps this next musical might be about Aborigines in the Australian Outback or perhaps a lesbian musical, <laughs> but it turns out that Bush Wars is about something else entirely. I've got two of the co-creators from Bush Wars here with us. How are you guys doing? Very Good. well. <laughs> you want to take a second and introduce yourselves? Sure. I'm Nancy Holson. And I'm Jay Felzone. Nancy's the writer. And I um, co-direct with Nancy, and I choreograph. And he's also in it. That I am. Jay plays Satan, among other things. Now, how does Satan fit in with the Aborigines? But now that's... Well, if, if this were a, a musical about I Aborigines, I suppose he wouldn't. But seeing as how it is about the President of the United States, the devil definitely has some relevance. First off, why don't you tell us a little bit about what all the madness is about Bush, Bush Wars. All right. Well, um, Bush Wars... <laughs> is a musical revenge on the Bush administration um, in a series of about 16 vignettes that are all done in um, song parodies. Um, we go from issue to issue and person to person in the Bush administration and basically tear apart their gross mistakes in the past two terms. And make them funny. Yes. Well, that we If do. that is at all possible. <laughs> right. If it is possible, we do it. Well, John Stewart somehow seems to make it funny. This yeah. is not as it is. <laughs> yeah, really. But, but we also sing and dance. Well? <laughs> Very well. I can say that because I'm the writer, <laughs> not the dancer and singer. So how large is the cast? Well, it's a cast of five plus a piano player. And in the course of a 90-minute show, I'd say they probably play a total of like 30 different roles. So it's five very busy actors. And I understand that there's discussions being made about trying to get one of the scenes up on YouTube or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. We'll let us know and we'll tell our We listeners. will, we will. We hope that'll happen fairly soon. So what was the impetus for you guys getting together and, and writing the show? Or I guess you wrote the show and you directed. Right. But... Well, we've been doing, Jay and I have been working together for the last eight years. We've been working together doing political satire. We do a show called The News and Review, which I've been doing for 15 years, and Jay and I have been doing together for eight. So we, we have, our heart is in musical political satire. But with what's going on in the country in these last few years, uh, we decided that it was time to do something different than the bipartisan, like, look at everything and laugh at everything that's um, in the news. We, we really think that we needed more of an agenda to make fun of, well, or to point out in particular, the ways that the Bush administration has absolutely screwed the country. It's just gotten worse and worse and worse. So we compiled some of our better numbers through the years, and we wrote a bunch of new numbers, and we have a show that's really dedicated toward poking holes in every lie and every misguided policy of the Bush administration. I think we really, I mean, we, we had many to choose from. We do a 90-minute show. We could have done like a... <laughs> Three-year show. Yeah, unfortunately. So we, we had to stick with the highlights. Now, this is an open-ended run, right? Correct. Now, what happens to the show when Bush gets a third term in office somehow? Well, after we um, commit Harry Carey, let's see. <laughs> we, we, have a, we have another two years to, before we have to worry about that. So. Now, have you had any audience members who are a very pro-Bush agenda happen to come see the show? Well, probably not too many pro-Bush people would come see a show called Bush not, Wars. Not pro-Bush, but <clears throat> Republicans, because in the current climate, there are a lot of Republicans that are as frustrated and fed up with George W. Bush as the Democrats are. So regardless of your party, it's just about people who don't like Bush. 
that's pretty much our audience. Why don't the two of you tell us about some of the other projects you've been involved in in the past? I, I sense that both of you had kind of a wide-ranging, diverse resume. Well, yes, I think we have. Uh, well, as I said before, Jay and I have been working together doing a show called The News and Review for many years, which we do in various cities across the country. Uh, we do summers in the Berkshires. We're heading off to Michigan to do a show um, Friday. So we, we've done that jointly. Um, Jay has a, a background, a very heavy musical theater background. Yeah, I started as a performer. I have a degree in musical theater performance. Um, my concentration right now is really on directing and um, choreographing and writing, but I tend to perform a lot. I make him. <laughs> it, he's so damn good. It pays the bills, is how I phrase it. He um, wants to get out of it, but hey. But, um, so, and we're working together on other projects right now as well. We're yeah. working together on a few writing projects. We have a show called Parenting 101, uh, the musical, which will be premiering in March in Burlington, Vermont. And that's, we're excited about that. That's like not about politics, which is, I don't know what we're going to do. <laughs> but it, that'll be, uh, that should be a lot of fun. So that's coming up. And I understand that you had a, a stint with the Weislers. I did work with the Weislers for um, a few months, way back in 97. Actually, I ended up being in charge of house seats for. Chicago um, on Broadway and both the tours at a time when Chicago was the hottest ticket in town. So come around Christmas time, I <laughs> got a lot of great presents because people wanted tickets. So, If people want to catch Butch Wars, what are all the details? How do they get tickets? Well, Where's they get one? their tushies down to the uh, Actors Playhouse, which is 107th Avenue South at Bleecker Street. Box office is open, regular box office hours. Um, the show show runs Friday, Saturday nights at 8, Sunday at 3 and 7. Uh, Bushwars.com can direct them to telecharge, which is how they can buy tickets online. Um, there's also a toll-free number there. So, Bushwars.com. We're going to play one of the songs from the show. Good. Yeah, I think, I think you're going to play the opening number, which sets up... Uh, the devil uh, just kind of appears and meets George W. Bush, who is so bright that he doesn't quite figure out that it is the devil, even though he's got horns and, like, pitchfork. But um, that would be how the show opens. All right. Well, I thank you for coming down, and I wish you the best of luck in the continuing run of Bush Wars, though maybe not the continuing run of Bush. Right. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. Now it's time for you to finish your father's work. The son should always finish the work of the father. 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 Finish my daddy's work. Finish the work of the father, 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 father. How am I going to do that? I want a war just like the war declared by dear old dad. Man. It was grand, Pearl Harbor, but with sand. But one thing makes me mad. When Daddy left Iraq, he wasn't through. So I know what's left for me to do. I want a war, even up the score, avenging dear old Dad. Oh, very good, George. Excellent. You are now well equipped to become the President of the United States of America. Shut up! No. The President? Yippee! 
that they don't know who you are yet, George, but they will. How will you mark your place in history? Manipulatize to favor the wealthy. Hell yeah. Cash is king. Ching, ching, ching. Cash is king. Put your king. hand on the speaker. Hate anyone who doesn't love Jesus. Love some Jesus Christ. Love Praise the Lord. Jesus Christ. God loves us all. Except for homosexuals. Except homosexuals. Except homosexuals. Except homosexuals. Except homosexuals. Except homosexuals. Look at what you will create. We hate every homo and Kennedy and Cuomo. We hate every homo and Kennedy and Cuomo. We hate you too. If your home state is blue. We hate you too. If your home state is blue. We hate you So I hereby wage war against a Democrat state. If you look like an Arab, you're gonna go. So have a nice vacation in Guantanamo. And friend, you're standing with me, or you will stand alone. When I sign this paper, we will tap your As we promised, we're going to bring you the answer to at least one of those trivia questions that we announced at the beginning of the show. D.A.A. Bosch asked, how did Gwen Verdon net her starring role as Roxy in the original production of Chicago? Alan from the Drama Bookshop answered, I'm not certain what Chuck means when he says net her starring role. Verdon owned the rights in the work. The author of the play, Maureen Watkins, had died and the estate had given Verdon the okay to proceed with the musical version. Verdon wanted her husband, Bob Fosse, to choreograph and direct. Verdon and Fosse were legally separated, but they were still best friends, and Fosse wanted to do the show for Verdon, perhaps partly motivated by guilt. So the Drama Bookshop got that one, which means that D.A.A. Bosch stumped the staff with the question, what popular TV show uses a musical theater composer's songs for episode titles, and which composers? We don't have the answer for that one yet, but if you're stumped, D.A.A. Bosch should have posted the answer by now in the Volume 12 forum thread at broadwaybullet.com in order to claim his $20 gift certificate to the Drama Bookshop. As far as the Stump the Staff contest, I am sad to say that I think we're going to have to bring it to a temporary end. I think it's a great idea, 
But in execution, it's very complex. I don't think enough of you can figure out how to submit the questions. Then there's a lot of coordination with the Drama Bookshop and getting the answers posted. And so while I think it's a fantastic concept, uh, we have to work on ways to make it a little bit easier to execute. If any of you have any suggestions on how we could make this great idea a little bit easier for all of you to submit and the Drama Bookshop to get their answers in, I welcome any suggestions. You can email me at broadwaybullet at nextbighit.com. I would like to continue doing the trivia questions during the show. I do think that's fun. Uh, We don't have a prize for the moment, but please send me an email with a great trivia question and the answer. And if I use yours on the show, I will credit your name, and it'll still be a lot of fun. So please send those to broadwaybullet at nextbighit.com. Stump the Staff has been brought to you by the Drama Bookshop. Very knowledgeable staff, always ready and willing to help. Online at dramabookshop.com or in Manhattan on 40th Street between 7th and 8th Avenues. Let's move on to our next interview. A three-person experimental show, The Whore from Ohio, is going to be opening at La Mama at the end of this month. And we've got two of the people involved with the show. They're doing many duties. How are you doing? Okay, okay thank you. fine, thank you. I'm Geula Jeffetatar, and I'm the director of the show The Whore from Ohio by Hanoch Levin, a foremost Israeli playwright, my co-director and feature. Uh, Victor Atar, co-director, and me is playing the part of Hoibiter, the, the old beggar. He's trying to get to The Whore from Ohio in his fantasy. You guys are both from Israel originally, yes. right? Yes. And you're the co-founders of the La Mama Tel Aviv? We are, uh, we are founding members of La Mama Tel Aviv. In 1971, Ellen Stewart came to Israel, and she found La Mama Tel Aviv in Israel. And we are the founding members that are left. Tell us a little bit about what The Whore from Ohio is about and what happens on stage. The Whore from Ohio, it's the fantasy of an old beggar, 70 years old, that on his birthday, 70th birthday, he wants to give himself a birthday present and he's going to fuck a whore. But his really fantasy is eventually to reach the whore from Ohio, which is something a fantasy. She is something special. Victor has a monologue when he speaks about the whore of Ohio, and I think he better say a few lines about from the play. The whore from Ohio is so rich that she doesn't need money, so she doesn't need you, so she doesn't let you in. No, the whore from Ohio rides through her thoroughbreds through her private forest, and two, and one, and her gynecologist and with his bag, and four black servants carrying equipment run behind her. And you, the customer, stand outside at the gate for three minutes, looking at the mailbox and rubbing. Then the huge black guard comes, grabs you by the collar, and throws you out like an old drug. That's my dream. A whore from Ohio. Then I can die. You see, he even doesn't fuck her. Mm-hmm. He only masturbates. Right. But the fantasy of this whore from Ohio, but he is happy with the whore from the same puddle that he is in the street. And there, there's his son, 
who, who is uh, like 40 years old. He has a problem with the heart. And he's waiting all his life for, for his father's saving, for his inheritance. And every time that he's telling him something that he's, he, he spent money for, he said that he spent money, 100 dollars, 100 shekel for a whore, uh, he would scream, he would, uh, you know. The uh, fantasy of the son is really that his father would discover himself as a huge rich like Bill Gates or somebody like this and he has a stock market and papers and shares and this is his main interest. And the fantasy of the whole from their puddle is to eventually get married to an American tourist that probably would be rich. So here you see three miserable people with their, their fantasies. So now what is it about the staging of the show that makes it experimental? I think because the setting is really more depending on lights, on the actors, their the fantasies. We do have some kind of little set, but it's very minimal. And I think the way of the movement and the happening on the stage with the actors, in, with the lights, this is, makes it the fantasies. And another thing that makes it experimental, it's the budget too that we are getting. Very thin budget. <laughs> <laughs> I think some of the most creative theater can come out of having those limitations. Yeah. yeah. Well, you see Rent, it wasn't a very expensive production, <laughs> but it came to Broadway. Now, what attracted you to this uh, play? But, uh, because of the play, I mean, the, the fantasy and the... the there the, is the, something very humorous. The text itself. This in, the text is very poetic, yeah, the way he wrote rich. it. Mm-hmm. and very precise. Right. And beside the characters, it reminds a bit... Beckett, uh, uh, there is cynic, cynicism about the characters, the two beggars, the old beggar and the uh, the younger one, and the aging whore, the three miserable people, but there is cynicism in these characters. There is something like comedian, and then they turn to be very human, and it's very touching. All of a sudden, and yeah, you feel there are two levels. One level is the dream, and and the other one is the the mud, the, the, the reality, the, the reality, the mud, the, the, the pattern, poor reality. The, the, and there is, there's a fight between the the father and the, and the son. Son would say, "Why I came out from the from this uh, person? I should come from uh, the king of uh, uh, Holland, the, the king of Belgium, Belgium, whatever, with uh, a pocket full of diamonds." Full, yeah. And and I and the old beggar would tell him how he mated once and uh, with this uh, woman and then you came out you mouse came out from the dirty discharge, you will always be connected to the slim prick, <laughs> from my balls to yours, <laughs> a binding steel chain, see. When you're talking about the poeticism of the language. Um, I understand that this wasn't originally written in English, even though no, it... it was written in Hebrew. It's much better and even preciser in Hebrew, and you, you, he uses even the sound of the language. Yeah. But the translator, Sandra Silverstone, she did very well by the translation, and 
when we decided to do the play, we first showed it to some Americans that connected to uh, to the language, to the American language, and they loved uh, the, the, the play. It gave us like a green light that the humor, it is coming across, and the sadness as well, both of them. And I understand, unfortunately, that the playwright uh, died. Yeah, he died uh, from cancer. By the way, he was one of the founding members of La Mama Tel Aviv. Then he went on his own and uh, started directing his show himself. And he was very good director of his plays. Well, he wrote it in the way of directing it. He knew exactly what he wants on stage. He could he, see the words. He could see, you see, the words coming up on the stage. That's and he died in 99. I think he wrote altogether about 56 plays. Many of them are big eposes, like uh, Eulogy, which is based on Chekhov, some other big plays. But then he has Camry plays, which is about two men and a woman, usually. The men are always in his plays are kind of awkward, <laughs> and the woman is dominant, and she always has big ass. We did one another piece of his, I think it, at La Mama, I think it was in 1995. The name of the piece was The Labor of Life, and it's about a couple in the old age. Here you have two characters, Popoch and Leviva, husband and wife, and the neighbor, the lonely neighbor, Gunker, which is another uh, variation of two awkward men, a big woman, which is very dominant. And this man, once, all of a sudden, one night, he decided to leave the house. After 30, 40 years or whatever he lived, he decided to go and leave. He, he, he didn't, he leave the house, he wants to go away. He wants to find another woman. Something to find like a new career, a new, new career. woman, yeah. new life. So, as you can uh, imagine to yourself, at the end, he died. So... <laughs> Now I see, Victor, that you've got a cast on your arm at the moment. <laughs> yeah. Is that going to be uh, gone by the show no, opening? No, no, no. I'm sorry. I'm, <laughs> uh, I got hit by a car and, uh, I mean, it's But terrible. look, he can use it for the part because he's a beggar. Right. And it can ha be very exotic for the part that he broke his hand <laughs> and suitable for the character. Sometimes the limitations bring on different right. ideas. Right. Yes. Where and when can people catch... The Whore from Ohio. We open November 30 until December 10th at uh, La Mama. And they can find out more about ticket information and times and stuff at lamama.org, right? Yes. Right. Well, thanks for coming down as you're getting ready for your production, and I wish you the best of luck. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Remember, you can find more information about all the people in the shows we talk to at our website, broadwaybullet.com by clicking on the link to the show notes for Volume 13. I'm going to bring you a little bit of news here before we wrap out the program. Two titles from the Broadway World News Desk. You can find out more information and read the full stories at broadwayworld.com. We've got an actress going from well to wicked. 
Jane Howdyshell, who received a Tony nomination for her performance in Well, will join the Broadway company of the smash hit musical Wicked at the Gershwin Theater as Madame Morrible beginning Tuesday, November 14th. All you Wicked fans, I know you're looking for any news on that show. Also, kind of an interesting thing, a show that was scheduled to be just a one-night stand could turn into something more. Busker Alley, which will soon be seen at the York Theatre Company in a star-studded concert headlined by Tony winners Jim Dale and Glenn Close, may sidle up to a Broadway run, according to the Broadway World News Desk. According to a New York Post article, Dale stated of his character, It's the role I was meant to play, and that's why I'm doing this. I'm hoping we'll go on to Broadway sometime this year. This one-night-only benefit performance of Busker Alley will be held on November 13th at 8 p.m. at the K Playhouse at Hunter College. Also set to appear are Jessica Grove, Simon Jones, Noah Racy, Greg Mills, Krista Rodriguez, Ann Rogers, Michael Lane, Troutman, and Jeff Williams. You can find links to recent news from Broadway World right on the front page of BroadwayBullet.com as well. And we also have tons of theater blogs posted on the website. You can check in one place and find what's current everywhere. I'd also like to remind people that we're also syndicated on Broadway World Radio, which you can find at broadwayworld.com. We're playing there on Thursday and Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. And there's other great programs on the site, including Seth's Broadway Chatterbox. They play a constant stream of Broadway songs on the station. And every night they have the top six requests at 6 p.m. So check out broadwayworld.com radio. Well, that wraps up this week's episode, Volume 13 of Broadway Bullet. But we're going to have some great stuff for you next week. Just kind of by chance, we have two Chicago area companies in to talk. So it's going to be kind of like the Chicago theme next week. We've got the improv comedy duo TJ and Dave in. And we'll be talking with Martha Levy, the artistic director of the legendary Steppenwolf Theater. They've got a show in New York right now, the Sunset Limited I encourage everybody to check that show out. And we'll also be hearing from a very different sort of musical, Striking 12, which is performed by the band Groove Lily. So keep spreading the word about Broadway Bulleteer friends. Podcasting is a new thing, and lots of people still haven't heard about it or know how you can listen. So the best thing you can do for the theater community is to let your friend know about the show and even take a few minutes and maybe show them how they can subscribe and listen. We're always looking for feedback on the program. What did you enjoy? What not so much? What would you like to see on this program? The best place, of course, is to go and post this in our forums at broadwaybullet.com. But if you're a private sort of person, feel free to email me at broadwaybullet at nextbighit.com. I look forward to what you have to say. Well, thanks for joining me, your host, Michael Gilbo. And until next week, thanks for hopping aboard the Broadway Bullet. So, a little more about our brand new theater and business arts major. I know what most theater programs are like, and I've talked to thousands of artists. All of this told me that a new style of theater major was needed. Theater majors can get a pretty good arts education just about anywhere, but most programs do very little to prepare actors, directors, playwrights, technicians, producers, etc. to manage their careers. When you go into the arts, you are your own business, and you need to manage that to strategically plan for your career to grow. If you've listened to many of these interviews, you know you need to be self-starters to create your own opportunities. I'm going to make sure you are ready for that world. 
you'll get a ton of opportunities as an undergraduate. Actors will act, even as freshmen. Designers will design shows right away. Playwrights will see their shows mounted. Directors will direct. Producers will handle shows from inception to execution. Outstanding guest artists will conduct workshops, and outstanding students will even work on this podcast and travel to New York with me for interview weeks. And if that isn't enough, we've got an amazing program that will pay all or part of your student loan payments, even private loans if you are earning less than $40,000 six months after graduation. That is an invaluable option that lets you pursue your passion in theater with less financial pressure. If interested, and I hope you are, go to broadwaybullet.com. I'd love to help you launch your career.